Hello listeners, this is your host Mix Bell Morrigan and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is going to be the launching of my next deep dive into a particular horror film franchise and this mini season deep dive investigation, whichever term you prefer, is going to be in the admittedly painfully relevant franchise of the Purge films. And for this first episode, I am going to be joined by the wonderful Rebecca McCallum of Ghouls Magazine, Moving Pictures Club, and just one of the general best people in the horror community right now. And I couldn't have asked for a better person to launch my Purge series. So sit back, enjoy, and let me know your thoughts on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. It is I, your host, Mix Bell Morrigan, and today I am joined by the excellent Rebecca McCallum, and we are going to kick off my deep dive discussion into the Purge franchise series, and we're going to be discussing the first film. So before we get into our discussion there, Rebecca, just maybe say a few words about yourself, introduce yourself, and kind of your connection to the horror community and why horror is something you're so passionate about. Uh, well, firstly, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. And um, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Rebecca McCallum, and I am a writer of what I call horror think pieces, because I don't know what else to call them. <laughs> There's just the, the sort of thoughts that go on in my head that I think, why not share them with the world? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I've written for sites like Remorgue, Dread Central, Grimm Magazine, and also I am assistant editor at Ghouls Magazine, which is a online site that looks at horror through the female perspective. So I say that my relationship to horror is really, I'm, it's something I keep discovering, but I, Honestly, like the, the further back I go, the more I see, like I was really mm. into Wizard of Oz as a child and Shakespeare and lots of sort of things that seem to have like a mix of like the dark and the mysterious or just those sort of like, I think that's the sort of pull that I recognise that mm -hmm. I had from an early age was like things that frighten me, but they also excite me. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of, as I've got older, I sort of realised that really for me, horror is, it's very important to me within the context of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And it's really, to me, it's just something that I can turn to whatever mood I'm in, um, but particularly with anxiety and things like the final girls are very important to me. I have mm -hmm. one of those cathartic experiences where I can see people on screen going through extreme situations and think oh well if they can get through that then what what's going on in my life you know I can I can get through that as well <laughs> it's a brilliant measuring stick <laughs> it's just like if they can yeah. do it I can do it too but no that's um <laughs> that's so fascinating and I think that's definitely anyone that I know who's in the horror community who loves horror films there's definitely always been since childhood some form of a pull towards otherness or the macabre the scary it's just we've always had that pull and particularly for people who are like queer as well there's also like the fact that you're already an outsider and you relate to the monsters yeah. in horror so there's so much that you can um get pulled into and attracted to and um, so that's brilliant and you you your fingers are in so many pies when it comes to the horror community it's brilliant <laughs> um so we're going to discuss now the Purge films, or the first film. So I want to thank you for coming on to wanting to discuss it. And before we actually started recording, you had said that it is like, you know, kind of fascinating that it's one of those franchises that doesn't seem to get talked about that much, even though we've mm -hmm. had upwards of five to almost six films. Like, it's kind of like, how do you get that many films if people aren't talking about it? So before we actually discuss the film, I want to know what you think about why there seems to be lack of a discussion around this franchise. Yeah, I guess as well, like before before I just launch in, I just want to do a little shout out to Ariel Power Shrub for connecting us in the first place. So thank you, Ariel. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um now, 
I've been thinking about this because I've been sort of doing into little research mode as I do when I'm going on to podcasts and then I start getting obsessed with things and it becomes a bit unhealthy but in the healthiest of ways <laughs> and um all these films have been incredibly successful so it's not as though they slip under the radar or they're sort of cult classics or anything like that and they are also like very rare in the sense that they're reflecting back to us in real time you know mm. the political the political situation and the state of the world and you know one of the things that I was thinking about I was sort of looking at everything that was happening in 2013 and you know we'll get into that later maybe so there's all that going on and then in terms of it was really good actually to revisit it the of page 2013 in 2022 sorry I know mm. lots of numbers here um because you can look at what's happened since then to where we are yeah. now and 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 it, it seems as relevant as ever so it, it's almost like time seems to have stood still a little which is you know a bit disheartening isn't it I guess but I can only think that perhaps it just feels so close to people mm. that the, the talking about it it's like so much has been thrown at us politically you know globally yeah. in the last few years but it's like maybe for people it's like it just needs time to breathe or we just need time where we don't talk about it but I think you know having the opportunity to talk about it now is something that I really welcome because there are lots of things that um I think that we can pick up on what what about you what are your thoughts on that yeah like um I actually think when you what you say there about it feels almost like too close to home I think that probably is there is a strong element of that I would think because it's like a horror franchise that takes place in the real world albeit a fictional you know take a high, highly extreme real world but it is our world it's not like some fantastical realm there's no you know, Freddy or Jason or Michael Myers or anything like this, that this heightened fantasy like horror level. It's like very grounded and it's just normal people. And I think that makes it feel close to home. And then, yeah, there's just in general been a lot of political unrest for the last like decade or so, <laughs> if not more. And yeah, I think it could be, it's just, it's there's less fantasy element to it. And maybe that's why people are less latching on to it. But then there's also part of me that's thinking, as you said, it has been a successful franchise. And maybe, like, unfortunately, the horror community is so vast that there is a subsect of horror fans that kind of like the second they see something is successful they'll put their noses up at it and kind of go, oh, no, no, that's for the normies. Sure. You know, that's not proper horror. And it could be an <laughs> element of that, too. Like, probably is. There's probably a little bit of, oh, no, 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 that's, you know, that's <laughs> that's not the horror that we like type thing, <laughs> which <laughs> which Scream 2022 kind of commented on as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the toxic <laughs> fandoms. Um, but, yeah, I think yeah, that's probably why it hasn't really been discussed as much but I think it is important to kind of talk about it as it's happening rather than kind of leaving it go say another decade or two and then revisiting it when things have changed so much like and I feel that's kind of like what the films in a way are kind of commenting on is the fact that we kind of need to examine where we are as a society and criticize it as we're in the moment rather than just letting things wash us by and then you realize oh shit <laughs> things have changed and we can't really go back now <laughs> I mean I feel like you've just synopsized the film like <laughs> <laughs> okay we're done <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, <laughs> but like now going into the film itself and kind of a deeper dive into the film and kind of contextualizing it uh, for those who haven't seen The Purge I would recommend going and watching it. I do think it's a very interesting film that has a lot of strong social commentary. But essentially, the premise is that the and I do kind of really enjoy when they kind of go into that really highly scientific like explanation for why we need sure. the purge. It's one of my favorite type of genres in horror when they just have a scientist gets propped up and kind of goes, "This is why this thing is <laughs> happening," and it's just like, "Yes, okay, I can follow that." And um, but essentially, scientists have determined that in order for people to 
release their rage <laughs> that they've built up over the year because we're in a capitalist hellscape, they decide that once a year all crime is legal, including murder. And the film essentially promises the main promises follows the main family who basically are locked up in their house thinking they're protected and then lo and behold they end up not being protected and um, horror ensues for them so I want to know firstly what you think of the film itself like are you a fan of The Purge? I I really like how so so I'm I'm a working class woman and my um my class status is really important to me and it's a lot mm-hmm. how I read the world and I I feel that really there's a lack of working class representation in horror as a whole um mm-hmm. yeah we think of like haunted house films it's always like you know middle class families and yeah. you know horror really feels saturated by you know middle middle class um figures so what I enjoy here is like that sort of shining a light on those like, nuances and prejudices and um, from you know the privileges and the sense of entitlement that goes on. Um, you know, not just like the large larger attitudes, but the sort of micro tensions as well. I think it explores both the sort of the you know the more obvious like political, and then mm-hmm. the sort of more nuanced sort of like people's every day like one of the things that I think is really terrifying about the page is the sense of like the routine of it the, like the routine yeah of, like, of what goes on and how how normal it's and I'm not saying that people within the I'm not saying that the people within the film believe that but it's like this the authorities who enforce the page because of the control they have they almost like it's almost like an enforced trauma where I think this is going to go on every year yeah and for like for, for the rest of the time we've got to all just pretend like it's fine and what trauma are people carrying underneath and, and how healthy is that for society as a whole you know and I think there's a the it feels like especially here in the UK I would say since the um the Leave Remain vote with the European mm. Union feels like there's been a lot of like rage that's been unleashed that because the, the vote went you know to, to in favour of to, to leave yeah that all of a sudden it was okay to express rage you know and yeah <laughs> so I see a lot of you know society in the real world reflected in the purge and I think I think one of the things that interests me as well, like we were talking about it not getting attention, I don't feel like it really comes in for considering the loadedness of what it's dealing with. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it comes in for a whole lot of criticism either, you know, from the from the yeah. right or etc. <laughs> and, and I can only imagine that maybe it's just well, if we don't talk about it, then nobody will. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) I I think you're onto something there. And it could be as well that at least Purge 2013, the first one, kind of came in at like almost a really interesting time, like in where we are, like, you know, politically and historically, because like 2013 was kind of really almost at the cusp of when globally the far right started to become more emboldened like it was kind of before really they before they real really felt that they could they they felt comfortable being openly bigoted everywhere and <laughs> to put it as you know plainly as possible and um, so I kind of feel like maybe that's why at the time anyway it probably didn't receive much criticism because at the time those type of people weren't as in the public sphere as they are now so and it may be because of the fact that it missed that way. That's why it's not even reflected on because it kind of, they almost forgot that it happened in a way. But yeah, I'd say if it's like, if we don't mention it, then it won't, uh, <laughs> it won't cause anyone to freak out. It could be an element of that because as you said, it really does comment on so much that is very real in society. And I think one of the notes that you kind of messaged me kind of beforehand, and I think it is, 
one of the things that the entire Purge franchise comments on is like really rooted in it. And as you said yourself, you know, your working class like background is really important to you. The Purge franchise really does comment on class. And we see that in the sense that it is the Sandin family and essentially they are extremely wealthy because Ethan Hawke's character, James Sandin, is the one that has created this security technology. So they've almost profited it off of the purge and they're locked away in their big, nice home. And we really see like that they're well off, like they're probably even like wealthy rather than even middle class or upper middle class going into the wealthy brackets. And and then we see like even the fact that there's like that infighting within their neighbors, like their neighbors who are also well off are also jealous. Like, so like there's even infighting within the same class, but then we see class as a system really come into focus when it is the, the stranger who is played by Edwin Hodge, when he is being basically hunted down by the main antagonists of the film. And there's like, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it's like, the leader of the which is the polite leader as he's said in the credits which is reese wakefield and um, he kind of basically says you know these people deserve to die and i think that really shows how class is viewed within our society that that's why people are comfortable with the purge happening because of the fact that people literally believe that lower class don't deserve to exist so i kind of want like we're going deep now and i want to know what, <laughs> what your your thoughts on how the film comments on class yeah well like, just you talking then my, my mind's already thinking you know back to there's a great book by owen jones called chavs that explores the demonization of the working class and a lot of that book is exploring about attitudes to, you know, people who uh, claim social benefits or mm -hmm. you know, who, who are unemployed and, and claim, um, you know, job seekers allowance, etc. And society's view of them is like inferior. Um, yeah. You know, this idea that people who don't contribute, and that's a very, that's you know that's the prejudice attitude it's just that you know there's so many factors tied up in that as well it's yeah like the social economic factors of you know it, if you come from a certain postcode etc you know <sighs> the odds are stacked against you in a way that for someone who comes from a position of privilege it's impossible for them to even think but you know in that mindset yeah um so yeah, you really got me thinking about that attitude next to the idea in the page of well, these people don't deserve to live. Yeah. Because they don't they don't they don't contribute and you know, they don't feed back into the system and you know the, even the language that's used around the I feel terrible because I think I think he's only ever referred to as the bloody stranger, but yeah. I hate just calling him the bloody stranger. <laughs> I know. Even that to me is offensive. It really is. Um, but the language that's used around that character, like pig, and you know, mm. that's got, even just the language, it, it's quite triggering because you know, as a working class person, I mean, I'm from one of the most impoverished background, um, impoverished um, parts of my city, mm. um. And a lot of the language that you hear is really is so derogatory and it's very, it's, it's just, you know, things like scum and, uh, you yes. know, so I can really relate to that. And I think picking up on what you said about, it's not just the, it's not just the attitude isn't just from the middle class, the upper middle classes flowing down to the working mm. class. It's also within the middle, and upper class yeah. themselves it's like the neighbors in their area that's very stepford wives in that area <laughs> <laughs> very much i got definitely stepford wives vibes it was kind of like stepford wives but also kind of like you know that whole kind of like desperate housewives vibe as well like everything seems perfect on the outside but yeah. then 
behind closed doors it is batshit crazy <laughs> I think yeah it really I mean like leans into she that may, she may be bringing your cookies but what's in the cookies you know <laughs> <laughs> exactly it is leading up to the purge you know she might be <laughs> it might be a hidden way of actually <laughs> knocking you off <laughs> um, but yeah and I think exactly and I think like the film like both it's commenting on class and systems but also as well it's a commentary on capitalism like it really is kind of like in a sense and I think that's really highlighted within the infighting between the neighbors because it's that type of thing of like you're taking advantage of us by giving us all the security that we need. And it's just like this really kind of like, there's lots of like mind games going on, but I think the film just, it really, like it's one of those horror films. And I think horror as a genre is the best genre for turning a mirror towards society. Like that's why we love horror because more than any other genre, it's able to turn that mirror and make us look at society through a different lens. But I think the purge is like more than just turning a mirror. It's like turning a mirror that's surrounded by rain spotlights. Like this in the sense that it's just like you are focusing on the shittiness of being in a capitalist <laughs> hellscape. You you're not we're not, not going to shy away from this. And yeah, I think there's just so much going on in the commentary in class. And another thing, again, I'm just going to say Edwin Hodge because I just yeah like the bloody stranger. Like surely just give him the name. But I think yeah again that's the fact that he isn't given a name is more the power of it that's like I feel it's yeah. very intentional by the makers of this film um but his character I feel the fact that it's a black man is really important in part of the commentary because not only is it commenting on class but because this film takes place in America as opposed to say another country class and race is intricately linked and it is elsewhere as well it is everywhere but it it seems to be under a microcosm in america and i feel that that's very important for this film because i'd imagine if it had been say a lower class white person it might not have had the visceral reaction of fear from the stand-in family of seeing a stranger in their house and i want to know like Obviously, neither of us are black or a person of color, so we don't really have that type of insight. But I want to know if you feel it was like an intentional move by the filmmakers. Oh, um, whether it was or wasn't, it definitely, as you say, it, it's another layer of like prejudice and demonization that goes on. I feel mm -hmm. like Jim, the, the father of the Ethan Hawke character, really jumps to the worst conclusions about the bloody yeah. stranger you know because he of what he sees what how he reads him as a person through mm -hmm. his through what he values which are basically material things and yeah. everything that's on the surface you know um so i whether it's intentional i don't know but it's certainly it, it adds a lot of gravitas to to the experience, you know, particularly if we think back to, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement and, yeah. and where we are with that now, which in 2013, we were a totally different place. So watching it with that context in mind was interesting this time around too. Yeah, really. And like... I suppose, like, you know, that's one of those things that, like, when at least when it comes to America, unfortunately, Black American men have been the victim of police violence for much longer than the height, of the, like, the boom of the Black Lives Matter protests at the start of the pandemic. Like, unfortunately, it's there's been a very long list of names that have mostly been forgotten at the time. Um, and yeah. that's, a sh like, you know, they should all be remembered. Um so I kind of like wonder like it'd be interesting to be able to like just look back and compare what the reaction was in 2013 to what it is now post the explosion after George Floyd because I'd say at the time it felt still very relevant but almost now it feels more heightened like more we're more aware of it than we possibly would have been at the time particularly for us outside of America like those in America might have had a similar reaction because unfortunately that's what they're living with on a day-to-day -day basis but for 
us in like Ireland and the UK and elsewhere because of that global explosion of grief after George Floyd's death I think it's something we're more acutely aware of now so yeah I definitely think whether as you said intentional or not it's definitely something that adds to an analysis of the film and um, yeah and something yeah. else I thought of is that he's he's pretty silent throughout the film so he's not given a voice which seems yeah. to be a purposeful thing as well because it reflects the silent voice of you know minorities within society mm-hmm. definitely yeah like there's <laughs> there really is so much going on in this film when you think about it like <laughs> it literally is so much like you could spend like an entire series just discussing this one film <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, there's another thing which I kind of like picked up on and I want to know if your thoughts are similar but like watching the film I really enjoyed like the difference between like the parents so you know Jim and Mary so Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey who's also just brilliant in everything she's in (laughs) but (laughs) the difference between them and the young son Charlie played by Max Burkholder I feel like they're the difference between them is almost like a commentary on how generations get more progressive because I feel like they're kind of very set in their ways of like almost they've accepted that the purge is the purge. This is just how things are. And they're also as, you know, Ethan Hawke's character reacts to the stranger has built in prejudices that have been built in over time. And I feel like the son who's younger doesn't have those. And he's the one that actually lets the stranger into the house, which unfortunately for some of his family members uh doesn't end up well because because the stranger comes in means the antagonists target the house so even though his decision which was so altruistic and probably the right thing Mm. to do it had negative consequences but i just want to know what you think do you think that having the difference between the, the son's attitudes and the parents do you think that was a commentary on how as a society, we do tend to get progressive with younger generations. Yeah, absolutely. And thank God we do, you know. Definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I feel like the, the son, um, is, is it Charlie? Yeah, Charlie, yeah. Yeah. I feel that Charlie, you know, he tries to understand the page and Jim rationalises it down, right? So mm-hmm. he's like almost passing down this contaminated message to his son. Yeah, but then is he is he only doing that because that's his career and his livelihood, and he, so it's in his interest to mm-hmm. believe that what he's doing is not corrupt or complicit. Yeah, because um, I do feel like, and the film does a good job of this, I think, as an arc that I do feel like the what Jim is doing as an occupation does sort of hang like a dark cloud over the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like perhaps perhaps all year round they can push that to the back of their minds but I think when Page Day comes yeah it has a certain like brutal reality to it because it's like it's very present and it's very real and it just becomes more of a reality of of the implications of what he's doing and the part that he plays um mm-hmm. you know as you said uh, Charlie lets the the stranger in um while Jim's immediate response is to like arm up you know yeah um while meanwhile the actual threat in the house is already in the house yeah Zoe's daughter her boyfriend Henry which could you get a more middle class name (laughs) (laughs) is um threatening to to kill Ethan Hawke's character um So the real threat in the house is being ignored and overlooked, while, you know, this perceived threat, which is totally incorrect, is like, this is where Jim is choosing to put his attention. And I think that says a lot about his attitudes and prejudices, you know. Um, yeah. When, when Mary when, wants the strangers in and um, Mary wants to sort of, you know, go in and, and, and see what's happening, I think he says something to the tune of like, oh, you know, I can't let you go with that man out there. And it's like, he's demonizing mm. him and like categorizing him as a threat. Yeah. Um, 
it's, and you've got like the class prejudice and the race prejudice going on there um definitely yeah. definitely yeah. there's like and I think just that as you said I can't let you go out there with that man out there it's again that's very reflective of the very racist attitude of protect the innocent white woman from the dangerous black man it's like you know reflective of that type of attitude but just kind of like um what you were saying there about that the threat was already inside the house like there's even like a deeper analysis of the film that i think could be done which like particularly seems to be a very american issue but it is kind of unfortunately globally but given that the, the context of the film is America, it makes sense to contextualize it there. But it seems to almost be commentary, commentating on the fact that so much of American society refuses to acknowledge that domestic terrorism, white nationalists and racists and bigots, the far right, are actually the biggest threat to American civil liberties than any other group, than foreign terrorism or anything like that. And the fact that the film, like, you know, there's the perceived outsider who's a threat to the family when the actual real danger was already in their home. So I think there's even a deeper analysis that can be done there possibly. And I want to know, do you think I'm possibly overanalyzing or do you think there's possibly something there? No, I think, I think it's just a testimony to, I mean, you can watch this film at a distance, mm. which I think there's been, you know, when I've watched it before, there's it, obviously stuff percolated, but when you watch it for something like this, when it's like, I knew I was going to be sitting down with you and really analysing it, pulling it mm-hmm. off, and it's just really, um, there's just so many levels going on here, and, yeah. and I think, you know, in 10 years' time, there may be other reasons, or five years even, you know, I think as time moves yeah. on, the way we read it will probably change, and so I think no, I don't. I definitely don't think that you're looking too deep. I think that's really fascinating to hear that take. And you know, if we look at the sort of contextualize contextualizing it in terms of what was going on at the time, you know, the mm. whole um, Occupy movement was really yeah. a huge thing, wasn't it? Yeah. It's like that sense of now post nine eleven. It's like it. It was the threat was from outside. And I think this film is very much the, the in the the mold of all the threats within now. It's coming from within the the borders of the country. You know, the yeah. threat is like the government and the establishment. And you know, <laughs> I know there's yeah, there's so much readings, and yeah, when you contextualize it regarding the time of what was happening as well, it makes it a more interesting analysis. And I think the film does a great job of kind of like towing that line between you know kind of saying and showing that the threat was coming from inside the house but then it also has the typical horror film antagonists this group which they it kind of just the way that they move and they, it reminded me a bit of the villains from the strangers as well that they yeah. were kind of just like those kind of like emotionless masks like they kind of just go about their business wanting to cause mayhem for no particular reason i think it was there was very reminiscent of those um, antagonists for me um but yeah i think the film does a good job of like kind of towing that fine line between it's possibly coming from inside or outside but then at the very end and again if you haven't watched the film go watch it spoiler for the ending but at the very end of the film there's it flips it on its head in the sense that those antagonists are all basically essentially killed off by the neighbours. And you're kind of thinking, oh, the neighbours have come to save the day. <laughs> and twist again, <laughs> the neighbours are like, you're ours. <laughs> we, we want you for ourselves. And I want to know like, what your thoughts are on that part of the ending before most of the neighbours are actually killed off by the stranger. But before that happens, what you kind of think of what that says about trusting your neighbours <laughs> maybe <laughs> <laughs> well um firstly just to comment on like the the group of purges that turn off just you saying then this is like things that things I hadn't even considered and and just having this conversation with you it's just so great because it's just it's just bringing other things to the surface I hadn't thought of mm. the idea of, of wearing masks and hiding behind masks 
and you know a lot of the discourse and disharmony that goes on online you know and people being yeah. anonymous and hiding behind you know anonymity and, and masks and um I think is really interesting and in terms here I think you see like another another example of um you know class class relationships in the sense that when they sort of introduce themselves to Jim they're like you're one of us good folk you know you're one of the haves and it's like they've come to that conclusion because again the things on the outside this is where he lives yeah like you know it's all those things on the surface however for Jim right it's like his class in this situation does not give him a free pass it's like mm-hmm. he thinks like oh, oh I can negotiate with these people because we're the same but you know in many respects as much as I really dislike Jim and with, I guess we'll touch on that maybe in a second but um he, you know these are not people he can negotiate with his, his yeah. social status does not get him any advancement in this situation you know he can't sweet talk or negotiate his way out of this um so 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 yeah um and they talk as well about you know um people like the the homeless the bloody stranger they call him a homeless pig and they say that he doesn't know his place which is sort of like speaking to that sense of like societal structures being dedicated to us and you know us all having our own compartments that we shouldn't step out of i found that really just so oppressive (laughs) yeah very yeah very oppressive and also kind of like very on the nose because like particularly again you know and unfortunately this happens anywhere where there is a deliberately needed large homeless population but in particularly in context of like america in particular states like you know they'll routinely literally through you know violence move the homeless and the unhoused onto different sites or get you know move them from somewhere where they're you know an eyesore to everyday normal people yeah. where they're like you know they're making people for, you know, forget how nice their city is and all this type of really ugly type of yeah, mentality like yeah exactly and... <laughs> yeah bad, oh, oh yeah exactly there's so much like that you, there's so much icky attitudes but i think as you said the purgers that attack the sandon's house they're kind of really used to kind of just highlight that attitude of society that we don't want you know we don't want these people to be seen you know they shouldn't they shouldn't be alive they shouldn't exist you know they shouldn't be here they're not like again they don't contribute they're all this nasty attitudes and i think the purgers are used to really exemplify that yeah not only that but it's like this notion of by inflicting pain and murder on on those that we consider to be beneath us it's something just the word pitch it somehow purifies them or releases Mm -hmm. them yeah i can't even how just harrowing that actually is (laughs) but um just to touch on like your question about the neighbors then um so again it's like another example of like entitlement so Mm. as you said where where you think i mean like the sandons or not and um the jury's out for me (laughs) but um (laughs) but you're kind of placed from a sort of audience perspective as rooting, you know. Yeah, rooting for them to survive, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or some of them, you know, maybe not Jim. Um, (laughs) You really have it in for Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so they arrive and it's like, the language they use as well, I noticed that Jim himself uses a lot of I and my, you know, Mm. very possessive language. And the neighbors when they arrive are the same it's like you're not theirs you're ours this sense of the page as as creating this this idea that people are property of other people and yeah. objects yeah right and it's like yeah again i think they they, they sort of say well you stuck money in our faces and i'm kind yeah. of like well very maybe you shouldn't have done that and then <laughs> it's like <laughs> what it also speaks to though i i think is 
So the fact that they wave money in their faces is their rationale for killing a family. It's like with Henry, his rationale for killing Jim is because, you know, he's being like the average kind of dad and a bit unsure of should his daughter be in a relationship. And that for me is like those two things are like, should be adverts for why there is not a purge because people are using the most not the most trivial but certainly you know the the things that are irking people doesn't tally up with like murder (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) because if if it was the case that there was a purge people would be murdered for the most trivial things because if it was like oh yeah you're allowed murder oh like the second someone like slightly it would be mayhem which would not be pretty <laughs> um, but yeah no definitely the neighbors are a really interesting kind of plot device to come in like again it just shows that it's and I feel like it is this real like magnifying glass again turning the mirror onto like middle class upper class attitudes it's this type of thing of it it actually doesn't it doesn't matter if you actually have enough to have a good life. You don't have enough. You want more. You want what the other person has. It's that type of really capitalist and consumerist bullshit attitude of kind of like wanting to be better than your peers. And I think the neighbors are really much using it as, as an example of that. But again, like I'm loving this conversation as we keep saying things and are making our brains go different directions. But there was something you said about like the the way that even the use of the word purge the way they talk about it as if there's this thing to be released it just made my brain think as well because like the way again this scientist plot device at the start that kind of says this is why we're doing the thing i think that for me is really like strong example of how like our social script uh, like our social story has told us that evolutionarily and biologically we're related to the chimpanzees which are the really warlike apes and aggressive and actually we're more closely related to the bonobos who all they want to do is just solve everything by having sex like that's who we're actually (laughs) more closely related to but i feel like the purge is kind of again commenting on there's this view of what humans are and it's this you know we have again this deep innate compulsion for violence and that's why we need to purge and um i want to know like what you think about what the science in quotation marks science of the film (laughs) is saying about humanity as a whole I feel like, you know, in a sort of, it's not, I don't like the word post-COVID world because to me it insinuates that COVID's gone very much hasn't. So I'm yeah. going to say in a, COVID, in a COVID world, yeah, <laughs> it very much made me think about, you know, here in the UK anyway, so I can speak for here in the UK and I'm, but I'm sure, you know, in America, similar examples, mm. but experts and medical experts and scientists being used by the government to push you know the policies that they have or the initiatives in one way or the other to make people trust and believe and go oh that's creditable and that's you know a lot of people don't believe politicians but they'll believe a scientist you know because there's just that innate trust about that um so it really made me think about, you know, that and our relationships with, you know, experts in the field and, and you know, how much we trust that and uh, what's be really behind that. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Like, I think it is, like, to, it is actually, like, there is an interesting, like, as you said, post-COVID being a thing, <laughs> um, which is still very much is, um, but post-COVID coming into our daily lives, um, there's an interesting analysis to compare. Because like, yeah, that's literally how the purge comes into existence is it's propped up by science as in and go, hey, the scientists have said this. So this is why we're legalizing murder once a day every year. <laughs> um, and Yeah, like on a surface, yeah. it looks great, doesn't it? Because <laughs> crime figures are low and, you know, 
security systems are selling well and you know paint this perfect picture yeah as i said before it's like what kind of trauma are people carrying around both individually and as a collective society to keep going on in the world with that weight of yeah and and yeah the fear of like if i do something to to my neighbor or colleague will they hold a grudge yeah yeah there's like you you won't want like it is like in a way as well like going like you know to uh like in a philosophical sense as well but like you know jeremy bentham ancestor well linked ancestor of mine still unknown but he's the one that kind of came up with the whole panopticon the idea of the prison where it's the like the entire prison is a circle and the guards can, you can be, everyone's observed at all times. And it's to try and basically essentially make you crack so that you like are constantly being observed. <laughs> You're constantly like, you know, doubting what you should do. And in a way that's what like, they're almost trying to get this purge to do because nobody will try and nobody will want to piss anyone off or want to tread on anyone's toes on the, like out of fear of, that person might hold on to that and a year down the line when it's purge day who knows so yeah there's interesting things going on but i like as well like as in they use that oh crime rates are low and it's just like yeah well there's a reason crime rates are low because all the poor people are being killed by the middle class and the only reason crime exists is because there are poor people who the system keeps poor because they don't want them to be lifted up and yeah. they have to resort to crime to survive <laughs> it's just kind of like yeah there's such a deep class analysis behind the purge the idea of it and these films and yeah there's just there really is just so much going on and i think i think like with this film i think we kind of touched as much on what happens on this film as we can like the themes behind it like yes there's like specific little plot bits of like you know the son with his little robot thing which helps save the stranger little kind (laughs) of fun fun scenes which and i think i feel actually as a horror film it does really good jobs at building tension like i there's lots of moments watching this where you really feel the tension which i appreciate because like i feel like it's something that a lot of horror films try to do but don't do well but i feel it's mostly successful in this one and um, yeah. what, and what you do you think it of it yeah people like you, you feel it for different people at different times yeah it's like there's moments where i go i don't know where to put my like where do i put my empathy yeah and i like <laughs> I, I like that the film puts me in that place because that's that's stimulating and that's challenging to me and i'm like oh i need to just unpack it and then watch it again and then see how i respond to it and yeah yeah is it interesting you were talking about like being observed all the time and the circle and and stuff because I feel like um that sort of like little terminator baby car I think it's called yeah. Timmy yeah I think it was it's Timmy yeah I feel like the, the dollar of Toy Story it's really yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is very much like and actually yeah the toy story doll watching that as a kid that was one of the first moments of like horror of going what the yeah. shit is this what mind came up with that <laughs> um yeah so it speaks to like it made me think well charlie is good at tech is mm. that good at tech so maybe some of that's rubbed off but it also speaks to like the surveillance culture right that even yes. even a child is not I mean, sort of spying. You know, it's very playful, but it's still like it is a little bit. Yeah, exactly. You know. it, like you know, in 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 another film, like you know, you could see that same scene playing out to be used to like spy on someone in a leery way, like you know, as in like very much so. And again, it's it is a interesting commentary on that we exist in a surveillance culture on top of our capitalist hellscape that has a class system that pits people against each other there's so much going on but i think yeah for this film like there's like there's like cameras and cctv everywhere the news and it's like it's live stream news like they make a point of going like this is a live feed yeah like it's an event that's happening now like that that aspect of it really scares me that it's like this is no this is like this is not a fictional thing it's like you could be sat in your house and this 
what you see is actually happening outside right now. Yeah, that that was kind of like that I think is an example of it being something that's probably a bit too close to home. Because even though we're not experiencing a purge, <laughs> yes, I don't I don't want to but even not, though not yet. yeah, never. <laughs> but, <laughs> even though we're not experiencing a purge and hopefully never will, but there is that scariness <laughs> of you can be watching the news and it will literally there'll be a bulletin that says live and you're actually watching some type of horrific event unfold and again in a very post 9-11 world like we all everyone can probably distinctly remember where they were that day because it was yeah. something that was live on the news and yeah I feel like the purge is again the purge as a film series I think only makes sense in a post 9-11 world I don't think it would have actually been able to be something that could have been conceptualized pre 9-11 like I feel it only can take place in our time and history but I think we've done a really good analysis of this film and I'm excited to see where I can go with the rest of the franchises that explore the other films and build off this really great solid foundation so before I let you go. I just want, if there's anything you want to plug, talk about anything you have coming out, let listeners know. Well, thanks for having me. It's like, I feel like we could, we could write a book together on this. <laughs> ding, ding. <laughs> it's been so interesting. It's like, you know, I, I had all these thoughts myself and it's just so nice to share them and to hear your thoughts and, and riff off each other. It's just been mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Um, in terms of me, so, um, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Pendle Pumpkin. Um, you can check out my link tree there that's got, you know, all the links to my work. I have an ongoing, it's not horror, but there's some sort of slight crossover. Um, I've got an ongoing series on the women of Hitchcock films with Movie mm -hmm. Features Film Club. I feel it's like really important to just bring a female perspective to Hitchcock analysis. So yeah. That's there if you want to check that out. Um, as you said at the top, I've just released a pocket book called Mums and Sons in Horror, and that just examines the relationships between mums and sons in the Babadook, Hereditary, and Psycho. So at like three stages of, of mm -hmm. life, so childhood, teenagedom, and then adulthood. So you can pre-order a copy now through Plastic Brain. You can get that through my Twitter page. And then, yeah, just a plug for Ghouls Magazine. So follow us at Ghouls Magazine on Twitter and Instagram and stay tuned for all our incredible content on our website. Amazing. Thank you so much and thanks for coming. Hello there. This is your host, Mix Bell Morgan. And I want to thank you for listening to my first episode of the Purge Deep Dive series. And a massive thank you to Rebecca McCallum for coming on and discussing this film with me and laying a perfect foundation to start this series. For the rest of the series, at the moment it is looking like it's just going to be myself discussing the films, which I'm super excited to do. But if I do have any guests upcoming, I will let you know in advance of the recordings all right well thank you for listening and keep your eyes and ears peeled for the rest of the series as it gets released <laughs>